Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. So Anthony tells me that uh, you've been going through this series. I've watched a number of them uh, and it's been pretty good. So um, you asked for it, mental health. Uh, I look forward to cracking open scripture and, and having a bit of a look here. So if we can have our first slide up. I just want to uh, begin by a little bit of modelling uh, and just to let you know that we will be speaking about things that could potentially trigger something in you. Uh, we call these trigger warnings. So this is uh, if you are struggling or you have struggled or someone you love is struggling. Uh, sometimes when we begin to speak about these things, it can rouse uh, difficulties in us, emotions in us, feelings in us, responses in our thinking, reactions in our body. Uh, these things are normal and natural and healthy. So just want to let you know, if you need to speak with someone, I'm told there's a prayer corner later on. There's pastors here who can speak with you. There are also anonymous places you can go, like Beyond Blue and Lifeline. You can call those places and speak to somebody, and I would really encourage you to do that. So just uh, by way of, of letting you know, we'll be uh, talking about some statistics and mental health stuff and then we'll be having a look uh, at some Bible stuff so that we can get a little bit of an understanding of what the lie of the land is with regards to mental health. So just uh, statistically, one in five, and I'll let you know that I've tried to put uh, all the statistics I've put there, they're all legitimate ones. They're not past the normal made-up ones. Anthony tells me 85% of statistics made up in church are made up on the spot. So these are legit stats. Okay, So I've put the, uh, the references there, so we're all, all good. So one in five Australians aged 16 to 85 years old experience mental health issues in any given year. So effectively what they're saying, and this is from 2007, this was the latest stuff I could find uh, from the Bureau of Stats. So just sort of within reason what we're saying is one in five people in any year struggle with mental health thing. And that is, those statistics are only as accurate as the people who have been affected and who have gone for help. That is recorded. Imagine how many people have struggled and they haven't gone and asked for help. So we could imagine the statistic would probably be quite a bit higher than what we're having here. So mental health and, and struggles with mental health is not an uncommon thing. It is a more common thing than we would like to imagine. And, and as time goes on and as society becomes more and more mature, if you like, uh, mental health and discussing mental health is the stigma associated with it is getting less and less and less, which is fantastic. Because the stigma associated with mental health and struggling was huge. When I was a pastor in the country and people would come and see me, what they would do, because in the country everybody knows everything about everything. And so people would park down the street and around the corner and they would walk blocks to come and see me so that no one saw their car out the front of my office. Because if you saw the car out the front of my office, then people would come and say, I noticed that so-and-so dropped in. Everything okay there? All these people are coming to see me and they're huffing and puffing. What's going on? I had to park around the corner so no one knew where my car was. I think we're evolving, we're maturing, we're growing. It's not so much of a stigma anymore, which I think is a brilliant thing. One of the most common forms of mental health struggle is anxiety. 
Beyond Blue tells us that uh, 3 million Australians are living with diagnosed anxiety disorders. 3 million. That's a lot of people. And again, that's diagnosed. So you can imagine that there is a whole uh, raft of people who are undiagnosed and living with anxiety. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental disorder affecting 14% of Australians every year. Women are more likely to develop anxiety than men. Uh, There are many forms of anxiety disorders, but the day-to-day things they have in common is their impact on day-to-day activities. Why do you think more women have anxiety than men? Maybe it's because they've got to live with men. That's, that's probably an accurate description. Or possibly, possibly, women are more likely to get assistance than men. Amen? So I think, probably, uh, I think it's probably far more equal uh, than we think, but I think women are, are sort of, in general, probably more likely to go and ask for help, whereas men are probably more likely, in a general sense, to just kind of grin and bear it or maybe use other coping mechanisms uh, that aren't healthy but allow you to push on for a time. So the stats are are always able to be... uh, They're a good snapshot, but they are things that uh, can move constantly. So when we talk about anxiety, what exactly are we speaking about? Uh, Anxiety is a a kind of broad-brush name given to the way that we react and respond to fear. If we could have our next slide up there, is the way we respond to fear. So there's social anxieties, there's phobias, there's health anxieties. And, And at the end of the day, what anxiety is, it is a physical reaction and response in our body to a perceived threat. So if you're uh, somebody who doesn't like to fly and you hop in an aeroplane and and it takes off, um, you're scared in an aeroplane, that's pretty understandable because it can fall and everybody can die, right? Um, So that's not a bad thing. Uh, And it's it's okay to be a little bit anxious, a little bit frightened of that. The difference is is that if your fear uh, becomes so large for you that you are unable to step on the plane, that's when we go from being normal, healthy, understandable fear to being anxiety. So if you're someone who at the moment is freaked out by germs, and let's be realistic, I mean, it's pretty hard not to be at the moment, isn't it? Everybody's doing this and all that sort of stuff. Um, If you're a germ person, I'm a little bit of a germ person, but if you're a germ person and you go out, um, everybody's a little bit more aware of germs at the moment. It steps over a line when I start to not want to go out because I think I'm going to be safer at home from the germs than if I step out into the world where there's more germs. So anxiety is that next step. And it can become something that uh, starts to rule your life, starts to stop you from doing certain things and start you doing other things. Fear is good. It's necessary. If you see a crocodile in the road somewhere or you're you're supposed to be frightened of a crocodile, you're not supposed to go up and touch a crocodile, you're not supposed to engage with a crocodile, your brain kicks into gear and says, stay away from a crocodile. It's a wonderful thing. It'll keep you safe. All right? The problem is, is if you're having that same reaction and that same response when there's no crocodile there. That's what anxiety is. When we start, to, we start to breathe really hard, we start to maybe sweat a little bit extra, we start to shake, we start to pant, we start to get a little bit of tunnel vision because we are so frightened. We are terrified. And our body reacts in a certain way. And that tends to happen because at some point we have been legitimately frightened. 
At some point, something has terrified us so much that we have feared for our very life. And so our brain kicks into survival mode and your brain wants to do nothing more than to keep you alive for as long as it possibly can. And if you're frightened, you will probably make better choices, safer choices than if you're not scared. And so your brain remembers that. And over time, it can kick into response before there are threats or small things start to become big things. You think about this, even if you're a kid, there are times and spaces where maybe you got bullied. Maybe there are times when uh, you were walking home from school and, and somebody sort of, you know, had a fight with you or they hurt you or a group of people injured you. Uh, I certainly remember that when I was a kid and I remember not being able to go to sleep at night because I was terrified of what would happen. And then I remember waking up the next day and being frightened when I walked past a spot where I got beaten up as a child. And then I remember sitting at school all day going, I don't want to walk past that spot again because what if that person's there? Now, part of that is good and normal and understandable. I I experienced probably what we would call a trauma. But then weeks and months later, and I don't want to walk past that spot, and I'm terrified of bumping into that person again, I've probably stepped over a normal, understandable response to a trauma to something that's probably more akin to anxiety. I'm sure that we all have stories like that. I'm sure that we all have instances where we've been scared and terrified. Anxiety is when we start to fear the worst happening and it becomes uncontrollable for us. Anxiety is all too common. Depression. A person, this is from the Australian Psychological Association, a person may be depressed if for more than two weeks they have experienced either or both of the following. A sense of sadness, emptiness or a low mood for most of the day, nearly every day, a loss of interest in an interest or pleasure in almost all activities, even the ones usually enjoyed. For a diagnosis of depression, a psychologist will look for a specific symptom that impact on a person's daily life. Some of these may include change to their appetite, sleep, lethargy, worry, negative thinking patterns. So you might follow a sporting team, you might love that sporting team, and they might lose. I was going to say late by lightning, but that doesn't happen very much, does it? So let's just say your team loses and we kind of, we're, we're sad about that, we're down about that. We might say, I'm feeling a bit depressed. Um, we're actually not feeling depressed. We, we're feeling depressed when that experience of sadness, of lowness, of lethargy, of ugh, that goes on most of the day for over two weeks. When I went to uni, it was four weeks. So I've, I've cut it down back from four to two. So it has to be this ongoing thing. So most of us experience sadness. Most of us experience feeling blue or feeling down. Uh, that's a normal, healthy, natural way of being in the world. It's when that becomes pervasive. When what you love more than anything else was to sit down and have coffee with your friends and, and I don't want to do that anymore. And not just for a day or two or three or four or for a week, but if that's over a long period of time, over weeks and weeks, you don't want to do it anymore, you don't want to go out anymore, there's no pleasure in it. The Australian Psychological Society says that that's when we're starting to move into the realm of not just being sad, but maybe into the early stages of experiencing depression. Depression is difficult and painful and hard. We have to hold the difference between depression and grief 
Because if you loved someone and you love someone and they're no longer here, if they die or they go for whatever reason, if you're going through a marriage divorce or if you've got kids that have left or whatever has happened and you have experienced a loss, then you are going to experience symptoms that are similar to that of depression. But if you're able to attribute a reason to that, if you're able to say this person was here and they're no longer here anymore, then you're going to experience similar things over a long period of time. And depression and grief and loss are different things. Depression can sometimes really have no point to it, or there's no reason for it, or maybe no trigger for it. But grief and loss, we can generally tend to put our hands on something and say, this happened. Uh, we can, our grief and loss can turn into depression, absolutely. But they are quite different things. Uh, I saw this picture and I thought it was a good image of what depression can be like for people. Uh, I've spoken to a number of people and they often speak about feeling like they are behind something, that they can see life happening all around them. They can see people uh, in activities and enjoying life, but for them it feels like they are behind a barrier and for them it feels like there is darkness all around. Depression stops us from entering and engaging in relationships. It stops us from stepping into fellowship. It stops us from being interested in people. It stops us from engaging with people. We tend to become quite inner focused. We struggle to hope. We struggle to see what is next. It feels like we are behind a barrier. It feels like life is happening all around us and we can't step through and into what is going on. Depression is painful and difficult and hard. And one of the things depression calls us to or results in is this isolation that tends to happen. So what does the Bible tell us about mental health? And what does the Bible tell us about these types of things? I thought uh, instead of doing a big exegesis for you, we could read a story together. First uh, Kings chapter 19 is a story of Elijah. He's just had this big supernatural moment of God uh, physically showing up and, and the, there were prophets of Baal, this false god, and, and they, were, they had this sort of almost like a showdown. And Elijah said to them, why don't we put sacrifices on an altar? You pray to your God, I'll pray to my God, and let's just see what happens. Uh, on Mount Carmel, I'm sure you've heard the story if you've grown up in Sunday school, and eventually the prophets of Baal are yelling and screaming and trying really hard to to make this fire come down from heaven, nothing happens. Elijah soaks his uh, sacrifices in water and creates a moat and a trench and fills it all up with water, prays and thump, on fire they go. This amazing victory. Elijah has this victory and all the bad guys are put to death and Elijah's sort of walking around proud. Chapter 19 is what happens next. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, just like you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. 
I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, drunk, and laid down again. Verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord came to him again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights, the time's important, to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. The Lord speaks to Elijah. But the Lord said to him, where are you going? Uh, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Isaiah has just had, uh, sorry, uh, Elijah has just had this profound experience, this supernatural experience, this You would think an experience like this would cure you from ever doubting in the goodness of God, the reliability of God, the show upness of God ever, because this amazing thing has happened. Yet for Elijah, when Jezebel threatened him, he was scared. He was terrified. God had just incinerated these. Uh, sacrifices and yet he is threatened by this queen and he is so frightened of her, he's so scared of her that he drops everything and runs as far and as fast as he can. And he gets to a point and a place and he says to God, praise the prayer, just kill me. I'm done. Elijah starts asking God, why God? I've done all these things for you. I've helped you. I've served you. I've given everything over to you. Why are these terrible things happening? I am the only one left. We could put the next one up. And so here is Elijah and he is alone. He's isolated and he's been gone for some 40 days. Remember we talked about how these things manifest over time. We would probably say that for Elijah, he has experienced a trauma. His life has been threatened and he believes that it is true. He is scared of Jezebel. He is frightened that she is going to come good on her promise to take his life. He's experienced trauma and he has run. And his uh, experience of that, the way that it's outworking, is that for some 40 days, do you remember what the stats told us for over a couple of weeks? Uh, Does he have any pleasure? He's not enjoying things very much anymore. He's isolated. He's on his own. He's by himself. He's out in the wilderness. God's providing for him and caring for him. But that does not seem to be enough for Elijah. Even though God is supernaturally caring for him and looking after him, he still wants to die. Can you be a person of faith? Can you be a follower of Jesus? Can you be in fellowship with Jesus and still struggle with mental health issues? Yes, you can. 
Does that make you a less than follower of Jesus, a less than Christian? Uh, If you had true faith, good faith, honest faith, real faith, walking with the Lord, uh, wouldn't this stuff not affect you? Well, if that is the case, then Elijah is failing. We can struggle with our mental health and still be in good fellowship with God. We can struggle with our mental health. We can struggle with our experience of the world. And God can still be profoundly and powerfully using us. It is not. These things don't go hand in hand. Being a follower of Jesus and in fellowship with Jesus does not stop you from being afflicted in the world. Uh, I can be in love with Jesus and close with Jesus and walking with Jesus and still get cancer. I can be in close fellowship with Jesus and still get diabetes. I can love God and I can still have a heart attack. Being a follower of Jesus does not make us immune to our bodies breaking down and our mental health is part of our bodies. It is not a sign of weakness. It is not a sign of being less than. It is just part of life. And for some of us, it's louder and more difficult than for others. For Elijah, he had experienced a trauma. Someone had threatened his life. I used to run uh, domestic violence groups and uh, a number of the uh, people that were in those groups had threatened me before and I have experienced that and been, yeah, okay, that's fine. I I didn't really feel that scared. But there was one occurrence. There was one occurrence. It was a domestic violence situation and uh, I'd been involved in that somehow. Be careful how I speak about everything now because videos and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but I had been involved in that in some way and uh, one of the parties involved in that came to me and looked me in the eye and said that uh, whoever it was that was involved in this that had helped one person leave and another person uh, get out, that that person better look behind them. That person better look behind them. And I had been threatened before and wasn't phased, but there was something about the way that this individual looked at me. I was terrified, absolutely terrified, to the point where I started shaking and having a response, a little bit like what Elijah had. I, I genuinely believed this person was capable of actually physically injuring me. I became frightened and scared. I tried to call the police and I was trying to speak to the police and my voice is shaking and breaking up and the policeman's saying, it's okay, sir. Do you want us to come out? That's how frightened I was. That's how scared I was. Uh, Did I love God? Yes. Was I walking with God? Absolutely. But was I having a natural response to being threatened? Yeah, I was. My body did what my body does. It set me up to try and protect me. Elijah was experiencing something the same. This woman who wanted to kill him, who had killed many people before, she made a credible threat and he was scared. He ran for the hills. He ran for safety. And God ran with him. God did not leave Elijah. He didn't leave him alone. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't tell him off. He didn't, he didn't chastise him because he didn't have enough faith. Not at all. God was with him. God was providing for him all the way along. Even as Elijah ran for his life, God was with him. Verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. What does God say to him in verse 17? Yet I preserve 7,000 others in Israel who haven't bowed before, uh, who haven't bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Elijah felt like he was the only one. He felt like he was the only one. He was all by himself. We could have the next one. He was the only one there. He was all alone, all by himself. No one was with him and he was doing it by himself. And for him at that moment, even with a supernatural God who was providing him food, who was looking after him, who had incinerated these other things, a God who was speaking to him very clearly in the wind and in the rain and in the earthquakes, all of these huge things, he still stands there and says, God, it's only me and it's too hard on my own. Can you be a follower of Jesus and still experience mental distress and mental health issues? Yes, you can. Does it make you a less than follower of Jesus or a less than Christian? No, it doesn't. God speaks. He speaks loudly. Elijah doesn't hear. He speaks in an earthquake. Elijah doesn't hear. He speaks in fire and Elijah doesn't hear. All of these ways are other ways in which God had spoken to prophets in the past. If you look through your Bible and then God speaks to him in this gentle whisper and he still, he hears, but he doesn't get it. He's so scared. He's so frightened. He's not open to hearing what he needs to hear. When I was threatened by this person and the policeman's telling me it's probably going to be okay. I'm not hearing anything of that. I ring up my wife and say, take the kids and go somewhere else. And she's like, what's happened? I can't tell you. What's happened? Just go. Nothing was, nobody is, people are telling me things and I'm not listening to them because all I'm fixated on is the fact that I've been threatened and I actually believe it. Same thing has happened to Elijah. He is alone. He is by himself. And God is with him. Elijah needed to hear. He needed to know deep in his bones that he was not the only one. I think it's interesting that when we have an opportunity to ask questions, uh, one of the questions that's got the most responses is our mental health question. So I want to say to you, Lakeside Baptist Church, you are not alone. If you are experiencing depressive symptoms, if you are experiencing anxiety, if you are experiencing other ways that your mental health is not the way that you want it to be, if you are feeling alone and trapped and isolated and sitting all by yourself, I want you to know that you are not the only one. God lets Elijah know that there are 7,000 others. You are not the only one who's struggling. There are many around you. There are those who will want to give you food. There are those who will want to embrace you. There are those who will want to walk the journey with you. 
And I want you to know that you are not alone. If you are in grief, if you are experiencing loss, I want you to know that there are others around you. There are people who can step alongside you, who can sit with you, who can pray with you, who can give you a meal, who can just listen or even just sit with you and say nothing. I used to have a person come to me for counselling and they would come and they would sit in my office and we would sit down and I began, how are you going, what's happening? And they said, just shh. What? He said, just shh. And they would come and they would sit and for 45 minutes we would sit in silence together. That's a hard thing for me. It was really hard. All they wanted was someone to sit with them. And they are willing to pay money to do it. Sometimes we just need someone who will sit with us. You are not alone. You are not alone. So what do we do? This is the question that we generally tend to come to. If we have the last one up. So I want to uh, encourage you, if you are experiencing something that you think could be anxiety or depression or some other form of mental health issue, I really want to encourage you, go and see your doctor. Your doctor is your friend. Your doctor is someone who can help you. Sometimes we experience mental uh, anguish or struggle, uh, and it's not because we're having a mental health issue, it's because something else is going on in our body. And if you can go and sit down with your doctor and make a double appointment or a triple appointment and just lay out to them what is going on for you, uh, there might be a mental health plan that you can put into place that can help you. There also might be some physical stuff that's going on. So don't discount uh, the full body. Go and see someone and allow them to use their expertise to help you to the best of your capacity and ability. Uh, Our faith is important. Our faith is an important factor. Uh, It's not enough just on its own. Um, You can be walking with God like Elijah did and still struggle. Uh, Our faith is significant and important, but it is not the only thing. It is part of. We are a full human. We are a full body. We are emotional. We are spiritual. We are all sorts of different things. So our faith is significant, but it's not the only thing. You know, community is really important. Uh, when we step into spaces and places and times where we might be anxious or we might be more depressed, we generally tend to step back from fellowship. We step back from engagement. We step back from uh, being with other people. And the more we step back, the more those depressive symptoms increase. The more isolated we become, the less we want to engage with people, the harder it is to step out that front door and and step into community. Again, uh, we are built, I believe that we are built in the image of a triune God and we are called to fellowship with other human beings. And when we don't have fellowship, uh, we struggle. I mean, wasn't that so, wasn't that so uh, revealing when we weren't allowed to gather how much you missed coming to church, how much you missed sitting next to the people that were next to you, even though they couldn't sing very well and they might smell funny, whatever it was, didn't you just miss hanging out with people? I remember when it started, I thought, this is going to be fantastic. Um, and then I went like three weeks in and I'm going, where is everybody? 
where is everybody? I just missed people. I missed hanging out with them. I missed singing with them. I missed being in the same room as them. We are built and designed and made for community. And diet and exercise. Believe it or not, there's a, a bunch of uh, research and more and more and more is coming where they're starting to see that what you eat, what you put in your mouth directly affects the way that you experience the world. Uh, the more processed food we eat, the more sort of unhealthy stuff that we eat, the more our disposition changes. There's a big, profound link between your gut and your brain. Uh, and there's a lot of chemicals that are made in your gut that can't be made in your brain. And when our guts aren't full of good things, uh, we can experience the world in ways that are not optimal. So the way that you eat, the way that you look after yourself, the way that you move, uh, all of these things play a significant role in the way that you experience the world. So if you are someone who struggles with your mental health, um, we are born with a genetic predisposition. We all come out uh, of our mums and we have been given a set of genes. And we may have genes that are strong mental health. We may have genes where we have struggling mental health. Uh, just because you have a disposition, it does not mean that that is going to be your experience in life. Uh, the way that you live, the way that you uh, eat, the way that you engage with people, the way that you are socially, uh, your lifestyle plays a huge part, a really significant part in whether or not those genetic predispositions uh, are engaged or not. So even if you're someone who has that pre-genetic disposition, that does not necessarily mean that that is going to be your life. You do not have to live that way. You might struggle there, but you do not have to live that way. There are things that you can do that play a huge role, huge part in the way that you are with your mental health. Um, so I just want to encourage you there. It's not hopeless. Uh, really encourage you strongly. If you are struggling, please go and see your doctor. Sit down with them. Make time. That's their job. That's their role. That's what they're there for. And there might be things happening in your physical body that are affecting the way that you experience the world uh, through your mental health. So please go and see your doctor. And there are loads and loads and loads of therapists and counsellors out there. Uh, if you are going to go and see someone, make sure they've got a decent piece of paper from a reasonable university. Uh, it's important that they know what they're talking about uh, because you don't actually have to be qualified to be a counsellor in WA. You can just start up Bob's Counselling Services and away you go. Uh, as long as you've got some insurance, you're okay. So I would encourage you, make sure your person's got a piece of paper from somewhere good uh, and there's somebody that you can meet and try. And some counsellors you meet and you just don't gel and that's okay. You've got to actually like the person that you're going to sit and talk to. So it's all right to try a few different people uh, and find someone that you gel with. So I really want to encourage you. Uh, those four things are significant in terms of how you experience the world and how you're able to experience the world from a mental health perspective. Sound good? Let's pray. Lord, you are a God who loves us uh, and you're a God who's not left us alone. Father, I think about Elijah. I think about all that he experienced, what he did. Lord, the miraculous things he saw, the supernatural stuff that he encountered and experienced. And Lord, when threatened by Jezebel, he just wanted to lay under a tree and die. Lord, Elijah felt abandoned. He felt that he was the only one, that there was no one else who was going through what he was going through, just him. And that isolation left him. 
lost, depressed, down, anxious, frightened, scared. Lord, for those of us that are here today and for those of us that feel like we are all alone, for those of us that feel like uh, we are doing it by ourselves, Holy Spirit, would you remind us that we are not alone, that there are others who can join us, that there is help available, there is assistance out there. Lord, give us the courage, the strength, the wherewithal to be able to ask for assistance, to ask for help. And maybe one of our friends or our family or someone from our home group can go with us to make that appointment to go and see a doctor. Help us find someone to begin uh, the process of of, uh, speaking and dealing with our stuff. We all experience difficulty. Some of us it's louder than it is for others. Help us be reminded, God, that you are a God who loves us and that meets us. Just like you met Elijah, you still meet us now. Go with us this week. And Lord, I pray and ask that we will make and take that first step. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, 